0: Well, last night we uh, started to look at a biblical framework for decision-making, and I proposed a model where uh, options can be categorized as right or wrong, uh, and also along the trivial important axis. Okay? And I think that's very helpful. Right, wrong, trivial, important. But if you stop to think about it for a moment, you realise that actually there's more to good decision-making than simply right or wrong, are trivial and important. After all, just looking at that diagram, you realise that there's this huge space of freedom. A lot of decisions that you can make in the right area. See, if you're a single woman here, you can literally marry any guy in this room. Provided that they're single, and they're Christian, and assuming they want to marry you. But does that mean that all the blokes in this room are equally wise options? (laughs) I would like to suggest no. (laughs) Because some of them are pretty immature. Some of them are a little selfish. Some of them may have poor personal hygiene. (laughs) Now, let me be clear, there is nothing wrong with marrying someone like that. That is not immoral. It's not ungodly. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> it does highlight another axis for us, doesn't it, in decision-making? The wise, naive, and foolish axis. Uh, no. So, uh, do you get the distinction between naive and foolish? Uh, it's just a way of saying that not all dumb choices are evil. Uh, sometimes I make dumb choices not because I'm wicked, uh, but just because I'm a bit clueless about life. I'm a bit simple, to use the Bible's term, a bit naive. Uh, so here it is from the start of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, actually, why don't you come me to Proverbs 1, verse 1? Great Book of Wisdom Proverbs 1 verse 1 Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel For gaining wisdom and instruction For understanding words of insight For receiving instruction in prudent behaviour Doing what is right and just and fair For giving prudence to those who are simple Knowledge and discretion to the young let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the and get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, this the simple person, the naive person who lacks wisdom. And it's not that that's wrong. They're just young. They haven't learned wisdom yet something that you've got to acquire. So it's not wrong to stay up until three in the morning. It's not immoral. But if you do, you'll be tired tomorrow. Maybe you were having a great time talking to your friends and you didn't want to stop, but you wake up the next morning and you think, oh, why did I do that? Why did I stay up until three? And of course you missed breakfast and you fell asleep in your seminar and anyone with half a brain would know that it would happen. But you haven't behaved wickedly. Done anything ungodly, you're just a bit simple. <laughs> <laughs> the fool, however, is different. The fool is not naive. The fool is wicked. The fool may well know that if he stays up till three in the morning, he'll be exhausted. But he does it anyway, because he doesn't care about staying awake in his seminar. He doesn't care about the things of God. And when someone says, it oh, might be a good time to go to bed now, he despises wisdom. And he goes to Maccas instead, because stuff you! Who are you to tell me what to do? That's the distinction between the wise, the simple, and the foolish. So why would you want to be wise rather than naive or foolish? Well, the Bible says you want to be wise because wisdom is great. Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gets understanding. In other words, a wise person is someone you look at and you go, Oh, I wish I were them. Oh, they have got it good. Proverbs 19, verse 8 He who gets wisdom loves himself. Here's another one Proverbs 24, 13, 14. My son, eat honey, for it is good and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. This kind of sounds like Winnie the Pooh, doesn't it? Sort of raving about honey. But the point is that wisdom is not like eating Brussels sprouts. It's not the sort of thing that your parents can't make you do against your will and, you know, you're sort of... So being wise is a kind of heroic but ultimately miserable kind of undertaking. No, wisdom is delightful. It is like Winnie the Pooh sitting there with his tub of honey and just hoeing into it. It's sweet. Why is wisdom so good? Well, because it helps you to live well in God's world. Here's wisdom herself, speaking in Proverbs eight thirty-three to 36 Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favour from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. So, do you love life? Do you want to receive favour from the Lord and avoid harming yourself? Do you want to be happy? think you wisdom. At this point you may be wondering well what exactly is wisdom? First of all maybe it's worth saying what wisdom isn't. For one thing, wisdom isn't intelligence. You can have a very high IQ and still be extremely foolish. The universities are full of people like that. Very capable, very intelligent people. Academically gifted. But they make a mess of their lives. They ruin relationships. They fight with their colleagues. They burn themselves out. They get drunk. They make fools of themselves. Not because they're dumb. Not because they're unintelligent. But because they're foolish. They know lots of stuff. They've got big brain power. But they don't know how to live life well. Wisdom is not simply intelligence, nor is wisdom simply morality. And it's not opposed to morality, but you can be an upright, moral person and still make a terrible mess of your life. There are plenty of moral people whose children hate them and whose colleagues dread encountering them. Why? Is it because they're moral? No, it's because they're naive. They're keeping God's commands, but they don't seem to quite get why God gave them in the first place. They don't really understand how things work. They don't get that there's more to navigating life than simply rigidly keeping the commands. They don't get the commands outline a general shape, the boundaries, but... There's this whole area of freedom that you need to navigate well that requires wisdom. How do people actually tick? me? How do they work? How do I apply their commands, the insights that God has given in this particular situation? Do I tell the truth here, or do I stay silent? What should I do? Wisdom's not intelligence. It's not exactly morality either. And thirdly, it's not whatever makes you happy. See, I said before that wisdom will make you happy, but that doesn't mean that everything that makes you happy is wisdom. See, people are constantly looking for happiness in all sorts of different ways. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, Facebook, YouTube, pornography, ice cream, whatever. And it's true that all those things will give you a pass. After all, Proverbs 15.21 says... Folly is a joy to him who has no sense. Yeah, there's plenty of people who find great delight in doing really, really foolish things. Because they're foolish. Plenty of stuff will make you happy for a time, but it doesn't last. You decide you're going to watch one sort of three-minute cat video on YouTube, and suddenly you're two hours into watching cats fall off benches. And you're hating yourself. I should have been studying. I've got an exam tomorrow. The ice cream feels good at the time, but three and a half litres into it, you're sort of blubbering. And, you're like, why, why do I always do this to myself? <laughs> Plenty of stuff brings temporary happiness, but it's not ultimate and eternal happiness because it's not actually living in line with reality, it's running against our nature and purpose. What what God made us like and what He made us for. What we're ultimately made for is knowing God. Living in line with that reality is what brings ultimate and eternal happiness. Wisdom is not intelligence, it's not morality, it's not whatever makes you happy, and mostly, wisdom is not exactly a law of the universe. See, the teacher of Ecclesiastes says that wisdom, like an in inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. But at the same time, he observes that the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Yeah, generally speaking, if you're wise, you're going to make better decisions in life. Life will go better for you. But it's not a law of the universe like gravity or something. It's not an ironclad guarantee that if you're wise, life will just go fantastically. Even the wisest navigators get sunk in the biggest storms. So if wisdom isn't intelligence or morality or whatever makes you happy or a law of the universe, then what on earth is it? Well, come to Proverbs with me again. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 to 14. Where wisdom is speaking again. And she says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride evil behavior, and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. And the synonyms here actually really help us to understand what wisdom is. You can see one there in verse 12, which the NIV puts as prudence, which is actually a terrible translation. Because the word is actually craftiness. It's the word that's used of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent wasn't evil because he was crafty. He was evil because he was evil. And he used his craftiness for evil ends. But his craftiness was about knowing how to get what he wanted. That's what the word translated prudence means here. Knowing how to, this is what I want to get, how do I get there? It's the same with the word translated here as discretion. It's actually about schemes. Knowing how to plan something out and execute it successfully. It's project management. That's wisdom. Or down in verse 14, I have insight, I have power. Now that is a good translation. Insight is about seeing into people and situations, understanding what is really going on here. How does this actually work? And power, well, it's about the ability to get work done. Wisdom is not just theoretical knowledge, it's applied. See, your mechanic probably never went to uni. But when it comes to cars, they are far, far wiser than you. Why? Because they have insight. They get how cars work. And they have power. They know how to fix it. And they probably have craftiness as well. They know how to get the maximum money out of you. There are kids who grow up in places like South Central Los Angeles, one of the most violent areas in America. And they might fail every class at school, but they know how their world works. They know which people and places to avoid. They know when to stay silent and when to speak up. That is wisdom. You wouldn't last a week there. Wisdom is about becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Or to put it another way, wisdom equips you to live well in God's world. Wisdom helps you to navigate life. I was talking to my dad about this talk, and um, he commented that when he was growing up, uh, Australians had quite a lot of shared wisdom. It wasn't necessarily from the Bible, but it was more or less in line with it, and it was widely regarded as true. Uh, Things like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Or two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, And of course, one that is from the Bible, Jesus, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. But over the last 20 years or so, it it seems to me like a lot of that collective wisdom has been lost, it's been neglected, uh, perhaps even rejected. A modern Australian proverb might be, if you don't have anything nice to say, say it on Twitter. (laughs) Two wrongs are the only way of making a right do unto others before they do unto you. Modern Australia is not a society that is renowned for its wisdom. Uh, in fact, our modern obsession with rights, although it has a Christian basis, is actually morphed into something that I think is anti-wise. We're so obsessed with having the freedom to do something, the freedom to do whatever we want, that we very rarely stop to ask if we should do what we want. Our world has a lot of problems because we are not wise. We don't know how to live well in God's world. We don't know how to navigate life because we've turned our backs on wisdom. Now, I reckon a helpful way for us to dig deeper into wisdom tonight and some of its implications for guidance Uh, is to take a look at someone widely regarded as the wisest person who'd ever lived, uh, namely Solomon, the son of David, king over Israel. We saw in the reading tonight from uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 that when Solomon became king, the Lord appeared to him in the night and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. might like to come back with me to that reading, to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord appears to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Uh, And in chapter 3, verse 6, Solomon answers, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child. and I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord said to Solomon, You great dope. What on earth do you need wisdom for? I am right here talking to you now. Why don't you just ask me what you want to know and I'll tell you? Stop wanting to work things out for yourself and learn to live in dependence on me. That's what you might take by some books that I've read about guidance that God is going to speak to us in all the details of life, especially when we've got big decisions to make, or at least the decisions that we think are to be. But there's really kind of no place for wisdom. In fact, it often seems that the idea that we should make decisions without God speaking directly to us is sort of subpar, um, undesirable, if not outright sinful. But notice how God actually reacts to Solomon. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this, and not for long life or wealth itself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I'll do what you've asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I'll give you what you've not asked for both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I'll give you a long life. God is not shocked or disappointed with Solomon's request for wisdom. He's actually pleased. He says, whoa, that is a great thing to ask for. Oh, man, wisdom. I will not only give you wisdom, I'll give you a heap more besides. In fact, the picture God paints for us is that wisdom, when used in obedience to his decrees and commands under his sovereign control and blessing, is actually all that Solomon needs to navigate life. In fact, if you stop and think about it, the very existence of wisdom literature in the Bible, books like Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of songs, James in the New Testament, that's such sort of wisdom literature plus a bunch of other stuff that's scattered through many of the other books. I think it shows that the idea that God normally guides through some kind of direct communication, dreams, visions, still small voices, impressions in my head, must be wrong. Now, do you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God never guides those ways, or that if those things have happened to you, that you're somehow deluding yourself. No, God may very well have done those things for you. He may very well have given you a vision or a dream. He may have well given you an impression that turned out to be right. And if he has, then praise God for that. What a useful thing to have. But if uh, that is how God normally guides, then you wouldn't actually need wisdom at all, would you? You just need to do what God says. And in fact, the normal picture of guidance that the Bible paints is all about wisdom applied within the framework of God's commands. Or to put it another way, wisdom is how God helps us make good decisions within the realm of freedom. We need wisdom in order to navigate life well. Jesus himself tells that. It uh, tells us that uh, in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says uh, to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And that word shrewd here in the Greek is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word we saw in Proverbs 8 in Genesis 3. It's what the serpent is. Jesus is saying, be crafty. Be shrewd, be wise like the serpent. Not evil like the serpent, but wise like him. Innocent, unlike the serpent. He says it again in the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke 16 verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind of people than other people of the light. It is Jesus is talking to us and he is saying, you are not very wise. You are not very shrewd. You should be, but you're not. You don't really see how the world works. In fact, to our shame, the people in this world are often more crafty, more shrewd, more wise than us. So how can I be wise? How can I be shrewd? How can I be crafty and insightful? How can I live well in God's world? Well, that is a terrific question. I'm very glad you asked it. Uh, And the Bible gives us some advice. Firstly, it says to become wise, you need to want to become wise. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. If you think wisdom is a waste of time or that, you know, I I think I'm basically there, like I'm wise enough already, then you'll never really become wise. To get wisdom, you need to be wise enough to realise you don't have it. A little paradoxical, but it is true. To be wise, you need to be wise enough to know that you're not. But let's assume that you do want wisdom. You've seen the value of it. You want to become a wise person. Well, how can you get it? The book of Job raises that question. Uh, Job chapter 28, verse 12. Job asks, where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It can't be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. Wisdom just ain't an easy thing to find. You can't go exploring and discover it. You can't buy it. You can't even steal it. So how are you going to get it? Well, God provides the answer. A little later in that chapter of Job, Job 28, verse 23, we're told, God understands the way to it. and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth And he sees everything under the heavens. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. God knows what wisdom is. He alone truly possesses it. So ask him for it. I think that's what James chapter 1 verse 5 says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In other words, God isn't sort of stingy or judgmental about your lack of wisdom. If you go to God and say, God, I really need wisdom, He's not going to say, Oh, really? You don't have it already? (laughs) All right. Well, maybe a Solomon when Solomon asked for it. He doesn't roll his eyes and say, oh, come on, Solomon, why aren't you wise enough already? And when it comes to wisdom, God gives generously to all without finding fault. All you need to do is ask and keep asking. I was chatting to one of my friends recently and I commented to him that when he was a student I noticed that he didn't really seem to be much of a reader. But now he was paring through some seriously hefty Christian books and engaging with some quite complex ideas at a pretty deep level. And so I asked him, how did you do it? He said, well, I realised that if I wanted to help people come to know Jesus and to grow as Christians, I actually needed to be wiser. I needed to be engaged with what other people have said about things. I want to learn from other people who are wise, wise Christians throughout history. So I realised I needed to read what other people have said so i started praying that god would make me a reader and then i started reading now that's wisdom he needed it he knew he lacked it he asked god for it and god by his holy spirit has given it to him and continues to give it to him now what if you did that apparently i read this in uh the 12 ways your phone is changing your book, a very good book. That the average user of Facebook, or of Facebook products, that is Facebook, Messenger, and Instagram, spends 50 minutes a day on them. Now, I spend no minutes a day on Facebook, Messenger, and Instagram, well, a little bit on Messenger. So some of you are using it an awful lot. <laughs> You're bumping up the average. <laughs> Well, what if you started praying that God would help you to spend less time on Facebook and more time reading your Bible or other Christian books or talking to wise Christian people? Well, praying. Well, actually, basically doing anything other than being on Facebook. (laughs) I'll bet you anything you like, but by the end of the year, you would be a wiser person than you are now. Ask for wisdom. God gives generously to all without finding fault. And thirdly, think about the end. Think about what are you trying to attain? What is the thing that you want to achieve from this situation? What is the thing that you want to achieve from your life? Psalm 90, the psalmist appeals to God. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Ecclesiastes says something similar, chapter 7, verse 2. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Thinking about your inevitable death, if Jesus doesn't return first, well, that actually really helps to make you wise. Because it forces you to realize that this life is not all there is. In fact, it's a very small part of all there is. And most of you have blown a quarter of it already. Maybe much, much more. Who knows? (laughs) Me, I'm at least halfway through. Another 40 years, if God allows it, and I'll be dead. If Christ doesn't return first. So what are we going to do with the time that God has given us? How can we live most shrewdly? given that not only our lives, but this whole age is rapidly approaching its end? What do I want to achieve, given the time that I've got left? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.29, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So it actually gives you a great deal of guidance to think about the end. How should I live? Well, think about the end. That's a wise way to live. To so look ahead to the end that God has planned for you. And eternal joy at his right hand. What are you going to do with the time That he's giving. How are you going to make the best use of it? Think about the end. And fourthly, reflect on God's world. Observe the world and chew it over in the light of Scripture. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we're told that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Kalkol, and Dada, the sons of Mahol. and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls first spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all the nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. In other words, Solomon went to uni. (laughs) Well, not quite, actually. But he did spend a lot of time looking at God's world and thinking about it. Looking at cedars, examining the little herbs that grow out of cracks in the walls and thinking it over. Marvelling trying to understand how does God's world work? How does this all fit together? Notice as well that his wisdom is actually related to pagan wisdom. The people of the east, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the wisdom of Egypt. Now Solomon's wisdom is far greater than theirs. It's greater than all the wisdom of Egypt we're told. And it's built on the foundation of knowing God and how he's made the world. But It's not a fundamentally different thing. The people who see Solomon, the outsiders, outside of Israel, go, oh, I know what that is. That's wisdom. They recognize it. Babylonians, the Egyptians, they were exploring how the world works and they had some real insight into it. Same with your non-Christian lecturers. I don't know the big picture, that God is at the centre of the world, that we're made in God's image, that we're sinful, that Jesus is Saviour and Lord, that he's returning to judge the living and the dead, that he holds out the offer of life with him in the new creation, or life without him in hell. They don't know that, now, which is pretty significant. That's going to affect their thinking greatly. But they're still going to have some insights into how the world works. You can learn from them. You've just got to process what they say through the light of Scripture. You've got to do the work of understanding it in the light of God's Word. So understand God's world, reflect on His world, but reflect on His Word. Hopefully you've started to see this week that as we study God's Word, as we reflect on it and chew it over, we actually start to become increasingly wise. Because to know the big picture, to know the guidance of God's Word, to know what matters matter, well, that makes a significant difference. If you know God's Word, you're going to be so far ahead when it comes to wisdom. But it's not even funny. Now, uh, Let me give you an example. Yeah, last week I read an article in The Guardian. Uh, see, here it is. So oh, no, no. <laughs> sure, have I got that, there? there, the um, Guardian article, the webshop, screenshot. That's it. Yes, revealed the three-word question consuming the world's biggest brains. Sounds pretty significant, doesn't it? Well, what is that? What's the what's the three-word question consuming the world's biggest brains? It's this. Who are we? Who are we? That's, that's the question assuming the world's biggest brands. But you already know the answer to that, don't you? If you've read God's word, who are we? We're creatures made in the image of God to rule the world under him. We're creatures who have rebelled against their creator, who have failed to rule the world well. We're creatures who deserve God's wrath and judgment. We're creatures who are invited to become God's children through the death and resurrection of his Son our see, see, if you know the scriptures, well, you know who we are. You are. Look at that. You are already wiser than the world's biggest brains. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Just because you've read your Bible, And if we want to grow in our wisdom, we do need to read our Bibles. We need to keep reading. We need to keep hearing from God about himself and his world, and we will have some really significant insight into how the whole thing works. If you do that, then perhaps you'll be able to say with the psalmist, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts." Now, some of us are not very big readers, and that's okay. You just need to start small and work your way up. Uh, A few years ago, I meant like Uh, who's about my age. He was a tradie. He'd been converted in his 20s through one of his mates sharing the gospel with him. He'd never been to uni. He wasn't a big reader. In fact, he didn't read anything when he was converted. But he wanted to get to know God better. And so he knew he had to read his Bible. He wanted to gain wisdom from others about it. So he wanted to read Christian books. And it was really, really difficult for him. He started off reading a verse a day and a couple of sentences from a book from John Piper that one of his mates gave him. And that was literally all he could manage. It took him half an hour to get through that. (coughs) By the time I met him, he was up to about a paragraph a day from the Bible and a page or two from a Christian book. Which actually means that he was getting through several books of the Bible a year and a couple of Christian books as well. Which, let's face it. Is probably more than a lot of us. Read your Bible. Take the time to chew it over. And ask yourself what is God teaching me here about Himself? What's He teaching me about His world? What's He teaching me about me? And gradually, you'll actually find yourself becoming wise, having insight into God and His world. How to live well in God's world. And related to that, talk to wise people. Seek out the advice of others, especially those Christians who know their Bible well and who you see living wisely, who have insight into God's world and His word. People who might have insight into you as well, insight that you yourself don't have. As Proverbs 12.15 says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. 19 verse 20, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Or Proverbs 13.20, walk with the wise and become wise. So lastly, if you want to become wise, walk with Jesus. Get to know him. Because Jesus is not just wise, he actually is wisdom. The book of Proverbs is framed as a father speaking to his son, urging him to fall in love with Lady Wisdom. But is that personification just a literary device? certainly a literary device, but does it point to something more? I think it does. Points us to the truth that wisdom is ultimately much more than knowledge. That wisdom is ultimately a person who we fall in love with, a person that we're looking forward to being married to for eternity. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus says in Luke eleven thirty one, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. What's there, something greater than Solomon that's here? It's Jesus. Does Jesus just mean that he's wiser than Solomon? Well, yeah, he's certainly wiser than Solomon, but I think he means more than that. He's not just wiser than Solomon, he is wisdom. He is what God's world is about. Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 that Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Not just that Christ is wise, but knowing him enables you, equips you to live well in God's world. It's only in him that we have righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Everyone's trying to navigate life, but in the end, on the day of judgment, everyone will be shipwrecked without Jesus. Everyone will have failed to have lived well in God's world unless they know him. The righteousness, holiness, and redemption that we find in Christ Jesus. It's in reflecting on Jesus and How he lives and God's plans leading up to him, to his death and resurrection, flowing towards the day of judgment when all things are put under his feet. It's in understanding Jesus, in knowing him, that you actually know what life is about. It's in knowing him that you can successfully navigate life. You want to be wise? Well, fall in love with Jesus. Well, let's try and pull this together. Yeah. Making wise decisions. You actually see Paul making decisions on the basis of wisdom. See, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the Thessalonians how much he wanted to come and visit them, but somehow Satan has prevented him. So he says, When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Now notice the phrase there that when we thought it best. That's a wisdom thing, isn't it? Paul didn't receive a special word from the Lord to stay in Athens and send Timothy. He has had things like that before. He didn't this time. It just seemed to him... Best. He weighed up different options, probably had many options that were right. He could have written the Thessalonians uh, a letter, or sent someone else, or just decided to trust that God would look after them without actually bothering to find out what happened to them. But he weighed up the options and he decided that the best thing, the wisest thing, would be to send Timothy. How did Paul judge what was wisest? What defines best? Well, not what made him comfortable. He would rather have had Timothy with him. But the welfare of the Thessalonians, the spread of the gospel. (laughs) What was best for that was wisest. So, proposition six, our aim, our aim should be to choose wisely. That is, to choose an option that will result in the most spiritual good. We want to maximise our life for the good of others, especially that they hear the gospel and come to know Jesus, because that is the wisest thing. It's actually what Jesus was talking about when he was urging us to be shrewd when he was talking about the parable of the the wise managers. The shrewd manager. The shrewdest thing is to invest my temporary worldly wealth to create opportunities to share the gospel with people so that I can win them to the eternal kingdom of God. I can actually take money right now that is going to perish, that's going to be useless to me on the day that I die. I can take that now and I can use it to spread the gospel. And in a sense, I translate my investment here that I can't keep into something that will last forever. People who will welcome me into the kingdom of God. I'll get there on the last day. I won't have any money, but I'll have a lot of people who have turned up and they say, Great, you're here. Jane, wow, you told me the gospel. I'm so glad. Bill, thank you for reading Uncover with me. It's then that I came to know Jesus. I'm here because of you. Well, that is shrewd, isn't it? I mean, what a stupid investment. What financial manager would ever suggest to you to invest in a portfolio that will be useless on the day you most need it? They'd be hauled before ASIC. They'd be thrown in prison. They'd be in all sorts of trouble. That's criminal advice. And yet people do it all the time. Stick your money in this investment portfolio. Buy this house. Buy this car. It'll all be useless. One day. On the day that you need it most. But you can use that worldly wealth now to win friends for yourself who will welcome you into the kingdom of God. Invest in the gospel. Invest in people entering the kingdom of God. That is true. Is wise. But in talking about being wise and making wise decisions, it's important as well to say that you don't always have to choose what is most wise. Now that seems a very strange thing to say when you talk about wisdom uh, and how valuable it is for decision making, but actually I think it's critical. Because if anything less than the wisest decision is considered wrong then we actually lose any freedom and we fall back into this idea that there's only one path that we're allowed. And if we do that, then the whole idea of wisdom just collapses. There is no wisdom anymore. It's just right and wrong. We're into a kind of legalism where if you make one mistake, you've blown it. There is no freedom. Worse still, we sort of fall into the idea that God is just kind of waiting for me to make a mistake before can wake me. And all of that is probably going to paralyze our decision making. Because what if I choose something that's less than the most wise option? How can I know what is the most wise option? But come with me to 1 Corinthians 7 and have a look with me uh, there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I've been looking at this chapter quite a bit during (laughs) NYC. Because it's a very helpful chapter in thinking about decision making, guidance. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 7, 25. Paul writes, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Don't look for a wife. This is wisdom from someone trustworthy by the grace of God. Someone through whom God is speaking. And what is God's advice? Well, he says, don't get engaged, don't look for a wife. That would be the most wise option, not to get engaged, not to look for a wife. But verse 28, if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to speak to you this. you see what Paul's saying? He's saying that not getting married is the most wise option in this situation. Just don't get married. Much better situation. But you don't have to do it. This is his advice, but you don't have to follow. Why? Well, because God wants us to be free. On one hand, he wants us to be free from concern. Verse 32, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. and His interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. On the one hand, he wants us to be free to serve the Lord, and on the other hand, he wants us to be free to serve the Lord. <laughs> verse 35, I'm not saying this for your own good, I'm sorry, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone's worried that he might not be acting honourably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who's made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. That's wisdom, isn't it? we categories. What's the better thing to do? Don't get married. But you don't have to do the better thing. You just have to do the right thing. You're free to choose the less wise option and get married if you want it. You're actually free in Christ to do what you want within the realm of freedom. But let's not use our freedom to be naive. Let's keep praying that God would change us by his spirit so that we would be shrewd like his son who is wisdom himself. Let's keep striving to become more like Jesus. Because that would be wise, wouldn't it? That would be a great way to navigate life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you that in him we know what life is about. We know you We know your world. We are growing in our knowledge of them and of ourselves as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that you would fix our eyes on him, that you would make us people who are able to navigate
1: life wisely and well for your glory, for the sake of others. in Jesus' name.